All right, welcome back to Formate Arbitration, and today we're going to be dealing with CCA discipline. It's one of the more difficult things we deal with is uh, discipline for CCAs, not only because it doesn't have to be progressive, but it has to deal with tenure. And a lot of arbitrators, to me, CCAs are easy pickings for arbitrators. There is no bank of goodwill established yet. So a lot of things that carriers with tenure can get away with or have their discipline mitigated down to a lesser discipline, that didn't afford it to CCAs. So it's a struggle. It's a fight. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of CCA removals in arbitration, and I'm about 50-50 on those. I've had quite a few losses uh, in arbitration dealing with CCA removals. And, you know, we throw the book at it. I mean, everything that you can argue, we've argued and uh, have just lost. I had a removal uh, south of here once, and it was an arbitrator who I think is one of the better arbitrators that we had. She's off the panel now, but she was a fantastic arbitrator, uh, as neutral as you could be, which is all I can ask for. Just be neutral. Just listen to the case and, and make a determination. I don't want you coming in here being a management crony like the one that I talk about all the time. She was a management crony. But this one is as fair as she could get, I thought, and had a removal of a CCA. This young lady had went in and bought uh, some snacks with the Voyager card, our little credit card. It's probably, if I can remember, it's been a while back, $6, $7, something like that. And so the person who goes over the receipts, they see this transaction uh, for some snacks. They call her in and ask her about it. She's like, well, yeah, I bought snacks with it. Well, you're not supposed to buy snacks, so that's for gas only. She's like, oh, I apologize. She's like, well, I'll repay it, you know, if uh, – if that's what you want, uh, it was whatever it was, $7. She's like, I'll repay that. Oh, no. No, you can't use the Voyager card. Okay, I understand. Well, they fired this girl for it. Never been disciplined before. Fired her. So we go to the arbitration, and this poor girl, she's you know crying to the arbitrator. She's begging for forgiveness. She said, you know, I'm willing to pay it back, uh, whatever I've got to do to keep my job. And the arbitrator terminated her. And I felt terrible for her. I mean, we had several good due process violations that we brought up. But that's what the arbitrator said. She said that the girl said she didn't know she didn't know that she could use it. And the arbitrator said, well, if you didn't know, you should have known. You don't ever use anybody else's credit cards. And the fact that she was going to pay it back, she's like, you know, it doesn't change the fact that you did it. Uh and she also said, you have no bank of goodwill to fall back on, which tells you that, you know, if you had a bank of goodwill, you know, this probably wouldn't have led to your removal. We've got some discipline, but it wouldn't have led to your removal. So all that to say, CCA discipline is tough on us uh, because there is no bank of goodwill. There is no tenure to fall back on. So we have to be crafty in our arguments and we, and we will be, and I'm going to show some things today, some things that we're going to use to help ourselves defend our brothers and sisters that are CCAs. Uh, and CCAs to me, God bless them. I mean, it, you talking about a melting pot of human beings and CCAs I, in my station, I've had, uh, CCAs come in that are 19 years old 
and I've had CCAs come in that were 60 years old. Uh, it's a full gamut. Every uh, race, creed, religion, you name it, CCAs are coming in now from the very young to, to my age. And, but they all deserve 100% of our effort, every one of them. Uh, I know that a lot of CCAs uh, that come through, work ethic is a little bit different. Uh, than, than those of us who have been here a long time and we get a little frustrated. Be careful with that. Be careful with that, okay? Because these people are, are our future. And so take them under your wing. You know, tell them what's expected of them. You know, I do that a lot when I have new CCAs come in. I'll, I'll talk to them, you know, on the sly. Just tell them, hey, look, this this is what we're looking for, you know. You don't have to go out there and run yourself to death, but come to work, you know, do a good job while you're here, uh, listen to management, and you should make it through. One of the hardest things that we deal with when we're dealing with CCA discipline is attendance. And if you have a CCA with attendance problems, good luck. Arbitrators will not tolerate that, period. Uh, And they shouldn't. To me, you're already showing the Postal Service what you're going to be like. <laughs> you know, if, if you're already, even though you don't have to have progressive discipline, it has to be corrective. Well, if management has shown that they've given you progressive discipline as a CCA through your attendance and you still are not coming to work, you're gone. I've had two arbitrations where we've had some fantastic arguments dealing with CCA removals. And have put on a good show in there, man. I mean, felt really good about it. <laughs> and uh, had just kicked management all over the place in there in arbitration. You know, you come out in the carrier, the CCA, poor, poor kid. It's like, man, that was fantastic. You really did this and that. And I'm thinking, brother, <laughs> good luck to you. Because <laughs> attendance, especially CCAs, Man, that's tough. This kid got removed, but arbitrators just aren't going to put up with that. But we're going to give it our best shot here today to defend our brothers and sisters as far as CCAs. We're going to start off with contract, the JCAM, the new one, page 1612, and it's Appendix B, and it deals with CCA discipline. And I'm going to read it's the, it's a, E, other provisions, E, Article 16, Discipline Procedure. And it's that second paragraph, and that's where we're going to start. CCAs may be disciplined or removed within the term of their appointment for just cause, and any such discipline or removal will be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure, provided that within the immediately preceding six months, the employee has completed 90 workdays or has been employed for 120 calendar days, whichever comes first of their initial appointment. Let me stop right there, because here's the biggest thing. Here's, here's the biggest thing that CCAs have going for them. It's not just that the corrective rather than punitive, but it's this. The, the first sentence, CCAs may be disciplined or removed within the term of their appointment for just cause. So that lets you know. That Article 16, where it talks about the just cause provisions, that applies to CCAs. That's where we have to 
put 100% of our effort is looking through those just cause principles and finding something in there that will help this CCA brother and sister. Look over all those just cause principles. Every one of them, if any of them apply, use that to help our brothers and sisters. That first sentence, it tells you they have to have just cause to remove or discipline a CCA. It goes on. A CCA who has previously satisfied the 90 or 120 day requirement, either as a CCA or transitional employee, with an appointment made after September 29, 2007, will have access to the grievance procedure without regard to his or her length of service as a CCA. Further, and here's here's where us in management, this is where we this is where we do all of our fighting right here. Further, while in any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply, discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. Okay? I'm going to read that again. Further, while any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply, discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. All right? So what does management say every single time that they come in dealing with CCA discipline? We don't have to be progressive. It, it doesn't call for progressive discipline. They'll take it straight to removal every single time, just about stating, hey, look, we don't have to be progressive. And then they'll make all the, all, all the arguments why the arbitrator should terminate this employee. Our fight, where we come in, is we say, doesn't have to be progressive, but it has to be corrective. And that's our job to show the arbitrator what that means and management's obligation under that. And here's how we're going to do it. M39, management's handbook, the M39 handbook, section 115. All right, 115.1 basic principle. And you're going to use this. I've dealt with this in an episode all by itself, but we're going to use this in every time they try to discipline a CCA, okay? Here's what it says. In the administration of discipline, this is 115.1, in the administration of discipline, a basic principle must be that discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's the very first sentence of that section, right? It should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's going to be in our template. No employee may be disciplined or discharged except for just cause, okay? So now, this ties in with that that I just read out of the contract, out of that appendix B, where it says that second paragraph, CCAs may be disciplined or removed within the term of their appointment for just cause. It's addressing that in section 115. No employee may be disciplined or discharged except for just cause. And here's where we're going to get them. Okay. Here's where we're going to get them with this sentence. The delivery manager must make every effort to correct a situation. To correct a situation. That's being corrective, right? The delivery manager must make every effort to correct a situation when? Before resorting to disciplinary measures. That's how we're going to get them. What did you do to correct this situation before resorting to disciplinary measures? 
What did you do? If you have a CCA that's having difficulties with estimating time, with package deliveries, with scanning, with anything like that, and management disciplines them, that's what we're going to say. What did you do to correct this situation before resorting to disciplinary measures? Not afterwards, not during the disciplinary process, not using discipline as a corrective measure. What did you do before resorting to discipline? Because that means that you are attempting to be corrective. Is that making sense? I hope so. So for management to be corrective, which is what the contract requires, that has to happen before the discipline is initiated, according to management's own handbook. All right? So that's what we're going to argue. Management has issued this discipline to carrier Corey Walton. He's a CCA for unauthorized overtime. There's nothing in the record to show that they tried to correct the situation before resorting to disciplinary measures. There's nothing in the case file saying that they ever went out on the street to see what was going on. There's nothing in the case file saying that they ever did an office count or an efficiency count. There's nothing in the case file showing that they rode along with Mr. Walton, seeing if they could fix some kind of transgression, something that he's doing that could have helped him. There's nothing in the case file showing that management ever attempted to correct the situation before resorting to disciplinary measures. The contract says what? Discipline, CCAs, they don't have the right to progressive discipline, but the discipline must be corrective. Management's own handbook, the M39 handbook, says that that corrective action will be when before discipline is initiated or before disciplinary measures. Argue that. What have you done as a manager to correct Mr. Walton's deficiencies before resorting to disciplinary measures? Because Mr. Walton has the right for his discipline to be corrective. And under your handbook, it states that that must happen when? Before. I read it again, just to make sure I'm right. The delivery manager must make every effort to correct a situation before resorting to disciplinary measures. So you correct it before. So we'll say that and see if an arbitrator will buy that for us, all right? The very first sentence of Article 16, and this is going along with, in my next episode, when we talk about corrective rather than punitive, I'm going to regurgitate all this stuff here. This is the same thing that we're going to be dealing with, just probably a little bit more in depth. But the very first sentence of Article 16, and I'm getting a cold, that's why my voice sounds like this, so I have to apologize. The very first sentence of Article 16, this is the Joint Contract Administration Manual, which means what? It was jointly done. This is both parties have agreed to this language. This isn't the union's handbook. I had an arbitration once where the advocate for management, she was the area labor specialist. She came in on me. Uh, they had told me this whole time that there was going to be these other advocates were going to go against me. It was a huge case I had down in Lake Charles. Um, so all these different advocates, different advocates. And then when I show up to the hearing, here's the area labor specialist. She comes in, right? She's the area labor manager. She comes in to do this case. She slings this joint contract administration, the JCAM, onto the table. 
it was quite comical because we were in her ass, man. We were, we were kicking that ass. But uh, she says, just, just take your handbook. Just take your handbook. And the arbitrator, he said, hold up just a second. He said, this is y'all's handbook. He said, this is both parties' handbook here. And of course, she couldn't say nothing about that, but she lost that one terribly bad. But I think it's funny that they think that this is our handbook. This is ours. No, it's both parties. Both parties have agreed to this handbook. And so this is what both parties have agreed, that the very first sentence of Article 16, which deals with discipline, will be. This is how it's going to read, according to both parties. In the administration of this article, a basic principle shall be that discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's how important that is, that both parties have agreed that all discipline, the most basic concept of it, is that it must be corrective in nature rather than punitive. That's the power that was afforded CCAs through the contract. That is the power that that holds in the contract. In Appendix B, where it says that discipline should be, they don't have to have progressive discipline, it must be corrective. Both parties have agreed that that's the most important concept of any discipline is that it be, should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. Use that language, all right? It goes on, on page 16.2 of the JCAM. Entire section that's called what? Corrective rather than punitive. You, you get the idea of what they're talking about? Both parties are talking about? That's the importance of it. That's the importance of of corrective rather than punitive is the very first sentence. And then they gave it an entire section. Examples of behavior on 16.3. What does it state? About halfway down. Management must still meet the requisite burden of proof. Prove that the behavior took place. That it was intentional. That the degree of discipline imposed was corrective rather than punitive. How powerful is that? That's strong stuff, man. That's strong stuff. And our template should have all of those things in there when we're defending our brothers and sisters that are CCAs. Our template should have all of those things in there to show the arbitrator, here's the importance of corrective rather than punitive. That's the onus. That's the emphasis that both parties have put on corrective rather than punitive. Management. It was so important to them that in their own handbook, the M39 handbook, section 115, which talks about discipline procedure, the basic principle is what? It should be corrective rather than punitive. That's the importance of that language. I'm going to read a couple of sites. So I'm fixing to do a lot of reading. But this language is it's arbitrator Jacobs. I'm going to start out with Arbitrator Cohen because this is my favorite site ever. It's the one I use in every case dealing with discipline. And it's the best one that I use. It's my number one site I use when I go into arbitration. But these sites talk about corrective rather than punitive. Now, these Jacobs sites, and, and I had a few people that have asked me to do transcripts on the uh, podcast. Let me tell you this. People that are going to do transcripts that I've reached out to, it's high as a cat's back. 
I'm telling you, they want a lot of money for that. And being as I'm footing the bill for this thing, I mean, it's not much. I just bought a microphone. I paid a little bit a month to, to have it put up. But those people want some money. So I'm not going to do that right yet. But I'll try to start uh, where I label my podcast down below there where you punch it. It'll give a little synopsis of it. I'll try to start putting the arbitration sites in that uh, because they're saying, hey, look, you know, I love the sites that are in the in your uh, episodes, but I have to click on it and read it, you know, and listen to it to get those sites down. I understand that. I'll try to start putting those into the uh, episode, a little synopsis there. Just the uh, arbitrator and the C number. And that way, when you look at it, you know, you can find it that way. Hopefully that'll help you out. It'll be a little bit easier for you. But Jacobs has three sites that I use in all the CCA discipline. They're all very good. Very good. And, and Jacobs was one of my favorite arbitrators. He got kicked off the panel by management. But he was one of the best writers. And as an advocate, you'll understand what I'm talking about. He was one of the best writers that we had. His decisions, the way he wrote his decisions, was beautiful. And uh, and he would address every aspect of arbitration. Every aspect. Every site you turn in, he would address it and tell you why it's not applicable. Every argument that you made, he would cover every single argument. A lot of tra- arbitrators don't do that. Uh, you'll have a lot of procedural arguments, and they want to address half of them. And then they'll do whatever. But this guy was great. And I've got three sites that I'm going to read from from him. Uh, and these need to be in your template. Some of this. I, and I'll tell you w- which ones. But but have uh, have these sites. And you can put them into your contentions. Uh, again, as an informal A, I, I do that. I put sites in my contentions. And one of the reasons being is as an advocate... When you go in, you don't want to turn in a whole lot of sites to the arbitrator uh, as an advocate. Uh, if you turn in too many, an arbitrator is going to ask for extra study time. Uh, and then both parties will be kind of ticked off about that. But uh, So I put in two or three as the, at the informal. Well, those don't count. And my formal, he'll put in a couple. Those don't count. So now when the advocate gets to arbitration, he's got his... And he can have the informal go over their contentions. Talk to me about this here. Now you had this site, this per- persuasive value. What does this arbitrator said? Well, he agreed with us, blah, blah, blah. Formal A comes in to testify. You talk about this. So now you've gotten about five free sites in there that your advocate, you know, he'll thank you for it. So anyway, I don't know why I said all that, but that's that's what I do. But here's here's Cohen. Okay, this is my favorite one. It's C00557. It's an APW site, but we use those for the NELC. Cohen, C00557. And this is what he states, and, and I got, and, and we're going to have to get over a little bit of it, but here's what he states. Grievance supervisor was asked if he had considered a lesser penalty. He replied that he had and had decided against it on the ground that he felt it would have no impact. The action of the supervisor in this regard is a violation of Article 16, Section 1 of the National Agreement. The first sentence of this article states, In the administration of this article, a basic principle shall be that discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. It has been held many times by other arbitrators that for discipline to be corrective, it must be progressive 
Now, there's where we had to get over a little bit dealing with CCAs is that it doesn't have to be progressive. But he's saying, but hey, for it to be corrective, it has to be progressive. Now, management will obviously say it don't have to be progressive. But here's the language I want you to focus on. This directive from the national agreement is mandatory. That's my favorite language of any site ever. It is not discretionary. Management does not have the choice as to whether it will issue corrective discipline or not. It must attempt to make discipline corrective. Here, grievance supervisor decided for reasons which appeared to him to be valid that corrective discipline would be useless. He does not, however, have that discretion. He must attempt to issue corrective discipline even though he believes that will be of no use. That's the best language you will ever find when it's talking about corrective discipline. I mean, a lot of management, when they come into arbitration, will say that very thing. You have a lot of rollaways, CCA rollaways. That's what they say. Well, I thought of lesser discipline, but hey, this was just too egregious. This, this thing could have rolled down the hill and then killed an entire playground full of children. That's how they will build this up. This vehicle could have rolled down and ran through a house. This, he just, there's nothing, no other alternative for us but to remove this person. That's how they're going to sell it. Use that site. If management says that in their contentions, either informal, formal, uh, arbitration, use that site when management says there's nothing else we could do. This was so egregious. This was so bad that we had no alternative. Bull. Arbitrator Cohen says it's mandatory. It's not discretionary. You don't have a choice because both parties have already agreed how you're going to do it on the very first sentence. It's going to be corrective rather than punitive. So some low-level supervisor, you don't have the choice to make that decision. It's been decided for you in Article 16. That decision has been made for you in the very first sentence, right? Use that language. Let me get into Arbitrator Jacobs' sites. And, and here's, here's the main one. This is the one that I use all the time when I deal with CCA removals. It's C number 33500. 33500. It's uh, out of North Dakota. And our advocate was Joe Malkush. I guess that's his name, Joe Malkush. He did a fantastic job on this one because it's got some of the best language you'll ever see. And I use it every time. So, Joe, thank you. Joel, it's Joel, J O E L. Joel, thank you, brother. This is, so, if anybody knows him, if you listen to this, North Dakota, tell Joel. Hell of a job right here. Um, it's a great decision, but but Arbitrator Jacobs talks about progressive uh, punitive versus corrective discipline. And this is what he states. It is clear that progressive discipline is not required. So he's just telling you when management goes on and on and on and on about, hey, look, we're not required to have progressive discipline. It's not required. He says that. It is clear that progressive discipline is not required. The union provided an award that indicated that progressive discipline and corrective discipline are the same thing. I'm going to say he meant to say management. I must respectfully somewhat differ from that conclusion in this context. 
Perhaps generally progressive discipline is designed to correct errant behavior and to instill a greater sense of responsibility in an employee who has violated or ignored applicable rules. Here, though, the parties to the Nash Agreement have specifically indicated that CCAs are not entitled to progressive discipline, but that any discipline must be corrective. These two statements must therefore mean that the two are not the same when applied to CCAs. That right there is perfect for what we're trying to tell the arbitrator. When management, management's only thing will be, it does not have to be progressive. We get that. We understand that. But it still must be corrective. He says that here. Here, Though the parties to the national agreement have specifically indicated that CCAs are not entitled to progressive discipline, but that any discipline must be corrective. These two statements must therefore mean that the two are not the same when applied to CCAs. That right there is perfect. That's perfect language for what we're telling an arbitrator. Look, we understand it doesn't have to be progressive. But just like Arbitrator Jacob says, they're not one and the same, or they wouldn't have said that. They wouldn't have said, even though progressive discipline does apply, you still have to be corrective. That must mean they're not one and the same. Here's a site. This is a case that I did with, with Arbitrator Jacobs, and I used that site right there from that Joel did. But I want to go over just a few things. When I was, uh, a few things that I talked about earlier in some episodes that he addresses and what happened in this case was a CCA was on her phone. The GPS on the scanner wasn't working. So she was having to look at her phone to do GPS. Well, she runs a stop sign and waylays this truck and it's, it's uh, injures everybody. And it's got a, a mother and two children. She waylays this truck and serious damage to both vehicles. And so management fires her for that. And the young lady did a good job in the hearing. She was a really good witness for me. And, you know, we made a million arguments, a million arguments. And he addresses each one of them. But he talks about failure to contact the union as required by Article 41. Remember in my episode when I talked about 413P? He dismisses it altogether. I told you, there are some arbitrators, they'll just flat out dismiss it. That won't even recognize it. But he did say, this is, how he, this is how he dismissed it. There was no actual showing of prejudice on this record, but it must be stated clearly that the manager failed to comply with this provision of the national agreement. As arbitrator Roberts noted in his decision cited by the service, there was no actual showing of prejudice or that anything would have been different had the union president been on the scene that day. The grievance clearly caused the accident and was ticketed by police for failure to stop. This determination should not in any way be taken as minimizing the clear requirement that prompt notification be done as required by Article 41, which must mean here that notification to the union could and should have been done no later than notification to the upper-level managers. This failure could well have caused a fatal error in the services case had the facts been different. On this record, though, it was not shown to be the case. The next time, though, it might very well be a different story. So, he does recognize Article 41 could be fatal. It's up to us to do a better job of showing what happened, why 
that hurt the carrier by us not being notified and being out at the scene? What could we have done out there to help this carrier that when they failed to notify us, we were not able to do? Does that make sense? Why, why did it hurt them us not being out there? What could we have done different or shown different? And those are just things that you're going to have to determine for yourself. But every time that that doesn't happen, I'm going to raise 41.3p. I don't care. But we have to do a good job of explaining why that hurt us and why that hurt the carrier by us not being out there. We had some uh, Article 17 and 31 violations. He dismissed those. Uh, the informal step A issue. I talked about this one in my concurrence issue, and he did give us. He he, he this is one of the reasons he mitigated the the action. Uh, we did a good job with that one, and this is what he states: the cases cited by the parties. Each case must be decided on its own unique facts. However, the cases cited were instructive, but shows that an accident in and of itself does not automatically result in removal. Remember that Article 29 I was talking about earlier? We use that in this one, and that's what he's talking about. The August decision cited by the union supported this view. There is also the notion that discipline must be corrective unless there is evidence that the grievance cannot or refuses to be corrected. There was no evidence of that here. That's, that's another thing when I'm talking about when you use this M39 language. What did you do to correct the situation before resorting to discipline now some things you can't like i'm in the bathroom using drugs don't really know what i can do for you there but anyway what happened was unfortunate and the result of inattentiveness by the grievant blind spot or not but did not demonstrate that she cannot be corrected through the use of discipline and or retraining the cases cited by the service did not provide the support it sought for the removal the Roberts decision was reviewed, especially in the portion of the decisions that seem to indicate that an arbitrator has no authority to modify the penalty irrespective of any mitigating circumstances that may be present. Frankly, that is simply wrong. Arbitrators clearly have an inherent power to modify penalties based on the overall facts and circumstances and any mitigating factors that may be present. That's why we always throw as many due process violations as we can because he takes those into account here. Even though he dismissed them, he, he does take them into account, and you'll see why. The JCAM language in interpreting Article 16 fully supports this notion as well. One of the mandated considerations is whether the penalty imposed is corrective rather than punitive. That's the first sentence. That virtually, by definition, requires a review of the penalty and the evidence in any individual case. It is completely possible that an employee could well be found to have committed an infraction as charged, but that the penalty imposed for it deemed excessive or harsh or punitive, thus requiring the arbitrator to exercise the inherent power granted by the parties' agreement to mitigate the penalty. Further, to belabor the point, the agreed-upon issue, as stated by the Step B team, posed the question, what shall the appropriate remedy be? That alone gives the arbitrator the power to mitigate the penalty. Let me stop right there. And most of you know this, but some of you new stewards, you may not. Whenever you write an issue and remedy, and I'll go over this in a later episode, your remedy has to reflect your issue. 
If I've got an issue of uh, Article 16 and Article 17 and 31 and Article 19, some your remedy needs to address Article 16, Article 17 and 31, Article 19, whatever you're going to put in there under that. It has to reflect, that has to be a mirror of each other. If you have an issue, the remedy needs to reflect the issue. You cannot say, is there a violation of Article 17 and 31 and then don't address it in your remedy. It does us no good. But at the end of every remedy, you will always state, always, or whatever the arbitrator deems appropriate. In this one, they say, what shall the appropriate remedy be? You always do that for this reason right here. And I'll, and I'll have this in another episode, but I'm going to talk about it right here. You always put at the end of your remedy or whatever the arbitrator deems appropriate. A lot of times I say, or whatever the B team and arbitrator deems appropriate, but especially whatever the arbitrator deems appropriate, or what shall the appropriate remedy be? Because just like he says, that alone is the arbitrator the power to mitigate the penalty. That's huge. Finally, while citations to the inherent power to fashion remedies could go on for many pages, it is important to note that the U.S. Supreme Court in the trilogy cases in 1960 recognized this as one of the basic and inherent powers of arbitrators. It talks about the steelworkers versus warrior and gulf. It is apparent from the language of Article 16 in the JCAM discussion of just cause that these mirror the seven tests discussed by arbitrator Carol Daltrey and Grief Brothers Cooperage. Daughtry notes that the negative answer to any of these questions may well mean that there is insufficient cause for the discipline imposed. He's talking about the just cause principles. A full discussion of these in this regard is unnecessary, but last of them is crucial, and this is as follows. Was the degree of discipline administered by the company in a particular case reasonably related to the seriousness of the employee's proven offense and the record of the employee in this service with the company? Clearly, an arbitrator has the power to mitigate the penalty under both traditional arbitration concepts as well as under the National Agreement and JCAM. Here, the penalty was determined to be both unduly harsh and inconsistent with the clear provisions of the JCAM at 29.2 regarding motor vehicle accidents. The parties agreed that the mere fact of an accident does not automatically warrant suspension or even the automatic application of discipline. Remember, I talked about that one in an earlier episode. Let me stop right there. He cites the JCAM language that we talked about in the Just Cause Principles. And this is one that you're going to use in every single CCA removal or all CCA discipline. He says, was the severity of the discipline reasonably related to the infraction itself and in line with that usually administered as well as to the seriousness of the employee's past record? That is the main one that you're going to use in CCA discipline. It's on page 16.2, one of the just cause principles. He talks about Professor Daltrey's notes that the negative answer to any of these questions may well mean that there is insufficient cause for the discipline imposed. And he goes on to read that. This is the one he's talking about. Was the severity of the discipline reasonably related to the infraction itself? You're going to chop that one up. You're going to start right there. Was it... Reason related to the infraction itself. Do we have an accident and they remove him? Well, that's, that's too severe. And he talks about that. 
and in line with that usually administered. Has other carriers with tenure, have they done something and gotten away with it, but yet this person didn't, this CCA didn't? You incorporate that, right? Because the art, because Appendix B says what? You must have just cause. Well, that's a just cause principle right there. The other distinguishing feature of the Roberts decision that there were, was evidence of a prior MVA with that same employee. Likewise, in the August decision cited by the service, the arbitrator noted that the grievant knew what should have been done to avoid the accident. Here, the accident was the result of negligence, but was clearly not the result of intentional or such gross negligence that removal must follow. Now, here's what he's talking about there. When management turns in their sights in an arbitration, if it's a discipline case, they have to go first. It's their burden. They'll turn in sites in arbitration to the arbitrator, and they'll hand me all their sites. So when they hand me their sites, I'm reading through them as fast as I can to see if there's anything that's different from the case that we're talking about here today and the case that they're citing. And so that's what I did there. They've turned in two from Arbitrator Roberts and Arbitrator August, and I read through them. And these people had prior discipline, prior accidents, and that's what they're saying. They should have known. Well, that's what I told the arbitrator. I said, let me talk about management sites that they turned in. This one from arbitrator August, not applicable because this young lady here today had an accident. She's never had an accident before. All these sites talk about carriers that had accidents before. They should have known all these things. So he, that's what he was talking about there. Then he talks about the appropriate remedy. He says, the remaining question is what to do here. It was apparent from a review of the cases cited by the parties that arbitrators are not blind to the infractions that have occurred. They have also applied the concept of corrective discipline and the need to show that the penalty fits the infraction to reduce, but not in all cases eliminate the discipline. Each case must, of course, be examined on its own unique facts. The cases cited were some of value in that it was apparent that in many of those the arbitrators reviewed the penalties and made independent determinations of the appropriate penalty. The service argued essentially that once a violation has been established, it is virtually incumbent upon the arbitrator to follow the disciplinary decision and not disturb it. Indeed, it has been said that the leniency is the province of the employer, not the arbitrator. As noted below, some difference should be given to management's authority to medi out what is appropriate discipline in a case. Still, though, the notion of just cause requires a review of the penalty and, under the national agreement, a review of whether the discipline is corrective versus punitive. It is clear from the cases that arbitrators routinely review penalties to determine whether the degree of discipline fits the infraction. And then he goes on. He brings her back, gives her back pay, but reduces it to a 14-day suspension. That's a great site if you want to pull it up and read it. It gives you some great arguments. And then the last site I want to read, I'm sorry I'm reading so much. I know this sucks, but uh, it's an important topic for us because we deal with it a lot. Uh, poor CCAs are under the gun from the moment they, they clock on for the first time. So uh, hoping that this episode is going to give us a little bit of ammo to help them. But the last one is C number 34218. 34218. It's Arbitrator Jacobs as well. This is out of Alaska. For us was Brother James Frankfurt IV. And in here he talks about Arbitrator Jacobs states corrective versus punitive discipline. 
And this is what he states. One of the basic tenets of discipline in the national agreement under Article 16 and the JCAM is that the discipline must be corrective and not punitive. Here there was some merit to the union's arguments. The service argued that rollaways are so serious that they must be regarded as cardinal offenses. Warning removal for a first offense, irrespective of an employee's prior history, length of service, or disciplinary record. The service further argued that the prior policies relied upon by the union are now outdated and that more recent pronouncements have overridden those and that the newer policies call for very severe discipline, including removal, for truck rollaways even where there is no bodily harm. The service also asserted that there certainly could have been here, especially if the grievant had been driving, a different vehicle requiring her to walk in front of the vehicle to work the keypad to get the door open. It was merely fortunate that she was not pinned by the truck as it rolled forward. They'll always do that scenario. It could have been just devastating. The service argued that the only way to prevent this is to issue a removal. <laughs> wow. The evidence both did not support that there is some new policy that calls for removal, no matter what, nor was there evidence that the grievance is somehow incorrigible and could not correct her behavior. In fact, as noted, the evidence was to the contrary on both counts. The policies did not appear to have been promulgated or published to the knowledge of the union or the employees. So here, management just came up with their own policy. That's why I always state in, in investigative interviews, if management asks the carrier, are you aware of the policy such and such, I'm going to ask them, can I see the policy? Most time, there's not one. They just made it up. And make sure your carrier don't say yes. Stop. Jump in that before carrier says, yeah, I'm aware of that policy. Because most of the time, there's not a policy. Carrier just wants to, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. Look, anytime a, <laughs> a supervisor, whoever, in an investigative interview says, are you aware of the policy of this? Stop them. Say, hold up. Can we see the policy? Well, I can get it for you. Well, not going to answer until they see the policy. So let me see it. Here, that's what they've done. They just made their own policy, and the arbitrator catches them on it. And I'm sure our advocate shown the arbitrator that, so that was a great job. Showing there is no policy that they cited. That's like that removal I had down in Memphis where they asked the lady, are you aware of the policy of absolutely no backing? And the lady says, yes, <laughs> but there is no policy for no backing. And so at the hearing, they had to say that. But what was so bad was the carrier said, yes, she was aware of it. So anyway, he goes on to talk about corrective rather than punitive and brings the carrier back in this one. That's another great site. Those three are the three that I always use. So this episode is a little bit longer than I thought it would be. A lot of talking, a lot of reading. I apologize for that. But uh, hopefully that's helped us a lot as far as how we're going to attack discipline against our brothers and sisters that are CCAs, okay? Uh, corrective rather than punitive. Don't let, them, don't let them confuse corrective progressive rather than punitive. It's corrective rather than punitive. Use that language in the M39. Use the language out of the JCAM to help your position. Uh, take management to task on that. Like I said, if they issue discipline, say, what did you do before the discipline was issued to correct the situation and get that on the record. Okay. At the informal level, 
Do that at the lowest level. Get you a good template. Get you a good uh, CCA discipline template. Have those sites in there. Uh, copy and paste some of that language. Get that uh, M39 language in there. Get the JCAM language in there. You can have a very powerful template for CCA discipline when it comes to that. Have all those things in there. And there are other things. These are just a few things that I talked about here today. Y'all may have a very good template where y'all are at. Much better than that. Um, and and y'all may do a killer job at it too. Y'all may be one of those branches or regions or whatever that really do a great job at helping your brothers and sisters that are CCAs. But if you're new, and, and I have a lot of people reach out there from smaller branches and whatnot that may not deal with this a lot, that, that's a good start for you there. Those, those are good things that could help you a lot, okay? Uh, the next episode is going to be corrective rather than punitive. You're probably going to hear all this stuff again. But it's, it's a huge, uh, huge point for us, huge point, okay? Uh, and as I go along... Like I said, when I get into I get into the contractual stuff later, I will always come back and do different episodes on different disciplinary things, kind of things that I've dealt with, things that I've seen and heard, uh, arbitrations that I've done uh, to help ourselves kind of fine tune some things, as we say. But so this will really just be never ending, you know, uh, podcast, maybe eight million episodes of this thing. You never know. Maybe not. But y'all take care of yourselves. I've got a, I've got to be a witness in an arbitration in a couple of days. So my next one may be a little while, uh, my next episode. But uh, I'll try to do it next week sometime. Uh, but until then, y'all have a fantastic rest of the day. Take care of yourselves. And I'll holler at you on the next episode, all right? All right, bye-bye.